Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tag One Team Talks. I'm your host, Preston So, Editor-in-Chief and author of Decouple Drupal in Practice. I am joined today by three of my wonderful friends who are going to talk with us about WebRTC and some of the amazing applications that we can apply to it, including uh, YJS and collaborative applications in a peer-to-peer -peer setting. Um, I'm joined today by Kevin Jans uh, in Germany. Kevin is the founder and the project lead of YJS and the real-time collaboration systems lead at Tag1. We're also joined today by Fabian Franz in Switzerland, senior technical architect and performance lead at Tag1. Fabian's one of the top uh, uh, Drupal 7 core branch maintainers. He's also one of the top 50 contributors to Drupal 8 and maintainer for several Drupal 8 core subsystems, including BigPipe, Dynamic Page Cache, and Theme API. We're also joined today by Michael Myers, managing director of Tag1. And it's a real pleasure to uh, sit with you all today and to talk a little bit about some of these very exciting and cutting edge topics. Um, by the way, uh, this, uh, uh, this session will be recorded and available on YouTube as well as on Tag One's website. So if you want to check out our past Tag One Team Talks, please go ahead and uh, navigate over to tagone.com slash tag team talks. And if you like this talk, please remember to upvote, subscribe to our YouTube channel, share it with your friends and family. And with that, let's go ahead and start with a little bit of an introduction about Tag One and why we're so interested in this topic. Awesome. Thanks, Preston, Kevin, Fabian. Great to see you guys again. Um, collaboration is a big part of how we work together and get things done. And uh, it's becoming a really important part of applications. And we're working on a number of collaborative applications right now um, that enable people to whiteboard together, uh, create and edit shared documents together. And we think that this is going to be a critical part of a lot of applications moving forward. And uh, the topic today, uh, I think, is really going to accelerate the adoption. I couldn't agree more. And I think that peer-to-peer -peer collaboration is an incredibly, incredibly relevant topic for so many enterprise organizations, as well as so many of us who work in content. And uh, one of the things that we know now uh, uh, that's a recent development is that WebRTC, which, which enables this direct peer-to-peer -peer communication, is, is now supported on browsers. Um, but first, let's take a step back, and, and you know, I want to ask Kevin and Fabian, um, what is exactly a peer-to-peer -peer application, or what we're kind of terming these days a decentralized application? Hey, uh, so yeah, that's an awesome question. Um, I think there are a lot of opinions on what decentralized means as an application. I think uh, something that comes up more and more, and uh, that is now really viable, um, is uh, our applications that communicate directly with each other to maybe save some server load uh, or to be more robust. And uh, it's come up uh, with WebRTC, which is now stable and supported by all the browsers. Um, I looked it up just, just uh, last year, mid last year, they released a stable WebRTC version, but even before that, uh, it was well supported by all the browsers and they can also uh, communicate with each other. And uh, yeah, it's basically the easiest way to create a, a, a decentralized application is now in the web, like in my opinion. And uh, yeah, so I would classify everything that uses WebRTC to share data uh, is kind of decentralized uh, an application. 
Uh, there are also many frameworks that use um, WebRTC as an underlying technology to uh, share and sync data and maybe even store data. Uh, for example, there's a DAT protocol and uh, IPFS to a certain degree also use it as uh, this. So yeah, that's how I would, I would classify it. Yeah. For people who are not familiar with the acronym, IPFS is the Internet File System. Basically, it's a huge storage where the data of the world is stored across several different computers and it's absolutely the same. It's like they have like a decentralized YouTube where when you're watching a video, you're not getting it from Google servers or Amazon servers or whatever, but you're getting it from some computer on the world that has the data. It's really cool. But uh, getting back to reality, um, one appliance for distributed peer-to-peer -peer is what we're doing right now. It's conference calls because um, no provider, not even Google or Amazon, would like to have that huge bill of having all the traffic routed through their server and then again to all four of us. That really doesn't make sense. So right now, we four are basically connected. We are a peer-to-peer -peer connection between each other. Everyone is getting this feed uh, directly in that. And um, this is basically um, one of the foundations uh, for Voice, can, uh, voice calling over the internet, it's peer-to-peer. And the nice thing, and that's what we're talking about now, is how we can utilize this technology in the browser in the context of YJS for collaborative text editing, whiteboarding, etc. Yeah, right. I think the, the main application for WebRTC at the moment is for creating conferencing solutions, right? Uh, so there's Google Hangouts, uh, uh, there's OpenPass, uh, like there are many um, applications that use WebRTC, but only for share, sharing, sharing media data, like uh, screen recording or WebRTC recording. And uh, something that is not well known to a lot of people is that you can also share data with WebRTC, but there's something missing. And uh, that is how you resolve conflicts, because if you have more many peers uh, you will have conflicts between the data that you are working on. So when you want to share data, you need some algorithm, some approach, some protocol to um, resolve these conflicts or um, like decide what is the latest version. And uh, YJS uh, supports is exactly built for that. Um, like if you haven't uh, been on the latest talks uh, that we did before this, YJS is a framework for collaborative editing that is completely network agnostic. So you can, um, yeah, you can enable collaboration over any network. Is it your existing communication layer or WebRTC or simple WebSockets or even a mesh protocol? Um, that all works. And th now there's a, there's a WebRTC provider officially supported and uh, for YJS. Uh, I've been working on this for quite some time and yeah. So one of the things I'm curious about is, you know, because we've jumped right in and talked about YJS, um, can, can we give a quick summary of, a, of, of what's a good definition for WebRTC, like the one or two sentence kind of um, purest definition that we can offer our listeners today? Yeah, uh, we should have gone that, done that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, to go back, WebRTC is uh, a protocol that allows you, maybe not a protocol, it's um, 
it's a protocol as TCP is a protocol uh, that allows you to create direct communication from one browser to the other. Basically, it works like TCP, but uh, for but it has the advantage that it can punch hole through net layers through proxies to the other side. Um, so the problem that you are facing is um, you are in your local network uh, behind a router and you are behind an internet service provider and now you want to create a direct communication uh, to your friend, uh, to you to share media data or to collaborate on a document. And um, WebRTC is exactly that. It's a protocol on how to, uh, how to make that possible, how to punch the hole through the network and how to establish uh, communication uh, that goes through these net layers. Yeah, it's kind of complex, but actually it is not. It's, um, so the way this works is as a client, you find out your external IP address and um, some additional information. Um, and then you send this as a candidate on how you might be able to be reachable to the other peer and that peer like decides, okay, is this an acceptable method for me uh, to communicate? Uh, can I do the same? Can we connect like that? Then this client finds out its own external IP address and some other information and sends this as a session description to the other peer again. And if they decided that this is uh, a way to communicate with each other, then they can create a, um, a connection to each other. And this is all defined in WebRTC. It's, it's kind of complicated, but there are libraries that make this really easy and approachable. So, so, yeah. so what exactly do I need to do if I want to? Um, let's say we do have two computers. We are um, across the internet. And um, uh, now um, I want to communicate with you. So, and I know your IP address. Hey, great. Uh, I've got one thing. So I basically start the YJS WebRTC, uh, the WebRTC connector, and then um, I'm putting in your IP address. Would that be kind of, and, and would it be like some unique identifier, how I would reach you or that you generate for me to reach you or how um, could it be? Yeah, um, great question. Like how can we establish a connection with each other? Like we could define that I have a unique identifier but um, in order to exchange session data, um, you need some other networking layer to communicate that, ses uh, that session description, right? The external IP address, all these information uh, that I talked about. And this is usually done by a signaling server. <coughs> and the signaling server is not really um, a requirement. Uh, you can use any, any way to exchange these signaling data for example, you could use email to send it. A friend of mine, Ishwin Current, uh, he used QR codes to communicate the signaling data from one mobile phone to the other. It's really cool. He is a researcher at uh, RWTH Aachen. And uh, yeah, this is also a way to do that. And this is completely peer-to-peer -peer and uh, physically approachable, but most implementations use a server, a central server, to reach the other client establish a temporary connection, exchange the uh, session description, and then uh, you have a direct connection between the peers and the sitting server is not really necessary anymore. So, 
So one question I had is about security. Um, you, you know, I think with all this direct communication happening between these peers, um, you know, once you establish that connection, there's, there's some security implications there. Um, is WebRTC an encrypted protocol? Yes, it's um, by standard, it's encrypted. So all the, uh, it's non-optional. Every WebRTC connection that you encrypt is, uh, that you create is encrypted by default. So it's basically a public, uh, it's a um, biometric uh, encryption protocol that is well known and it's, uh, it's integrated in this, um, in the um, WebRTC protocol. And it uses, and it uses public key cryptography. Was that what you were saying? Like, um, I sent you my public key via the signaling server, which we both trust, and then um, you can encrypt the data with it. Yeah, right. Um, but you don't really interact with the um, with your um, public private keys. Uh, this is done by the browser. Usually, it is added to the session description data. So. Um, also, there's a new certificate that is created for every connection that you do, as far as I know. So, um, yeah, within the information that I send to you to establish a connection, there is this certificate, um, and it is a requirement uh, in order to establish a connection. So, WebRTC is secure by default. But you said you are sending me the the box with which I can then. Um, uh, send you the box back and you have the key to open the data. That's cool. Right, exactly. Right. We already do the, um, all this uh, product, we already sent the data back and forth, right? So we can just attach a certificate and it's secure. So why wouldn't we do it? Um, but you said something interesting here. Uh, we both trust the signaling server. Um, yeah, so do we really need to trust the signaling server? So this is something that uh, uh, yeah, that was interesting to me uh, because I developed a signaling server uh, that you don't need to trust. And this is also possible with, uh, this is possible with isometric um, encryption, which basically says if you both, if all the peers have, uh, have a shared secret, some certificate maybe, and they can communicate through the signaling server without trusting the signaling server. Right, this is easily possible, uh, but it's unfortunately not done by a lot of people. But to me, it's a really interesting concept. And that's how YJS yeah. works, is it can work with an untrusted signaling server? Yeah, so the new YWebRTC, uh, well, provider, uh, it supports uh, signaling through an untrusted server. Um, so uh, yeah, let's jump right into it. So YWebRTC, is uh, the communication layer and, you, and it provides uh, a method to exchange signaling data uh, through a very minimal simplistic uh, signaling server implementation. The idea here was that you can easily re-implement it in any other language. It's basically some, something like a published subscribe server. You basically send message to a room and everyone who is subscribed to a room will receive that data. But um, the actual data, like the session information, it is encrypted with a key that only the peers know. Uh, so this is how you can, uh, well, encrypt the data without uh, trusting the server. And 
for example, I provide several signaling servers uh, that you can use for free. They are public. And uh, usually this is a bad idea, right? But uh, for this scenario, if you want to develop your own application, just get started. You don't have to set up your own signaling server. Uh, you can just use a default one. And it's also easily scalable because uh, published subscribe servers are easily scalable. So um, let me explain this a little bit more for people maybe less familiar with uh, technology, security, encryption, and all those things. There's basically two ways, uh, for example, Michael and me can exchange a secret message. We can both define a code word, like bird, for example, or tech one, so that might be a little bit easy to get. Um, and now with that code word, we can securely exchange a message. This is called a symmetrical um, encryption. There's another part of encryption and that is public key cryptography. And you all use it because it's kind of how um, the HTTPS works. That means someone has a secret and he's um, publishing the other part of that secret. Um, I've already explained it quickly, but just again, um, it's basically I sent Kevin a box. To, uh, Kevin sent me a box to which only um, he has a key. Um, but it's open and I put my secret message in there, close the box and now I send it back to Kevin. Um, but no one else has a key, not even me. So once I've I put it, this thing in the box and closed it down, no one can open it except Kevin. And that's basically the thing. The problem is now uh, for the first part of how do we exchange things? And now um, one of the parts and that was the first part of how a signaling server would be working is that everyone would be saying, hey, my box or my public key is this, and they would be sending it to the signaling server and the signaling server would send it over to the others. However, because it sits in the middle, he could as well say, hey, <laughs> I sent my own public key and um, um, this is a man in the middle attack. So that's not what we want. So what Kevin, and now we can put this in a WordPress or Drupal context is basically um, all of those editorial sessions are starting on a Drupal site, for example. So all of those sessions have Drupal, they trust it, they have HTTPS to that site. So we can generate a token. We generate the token one, two, three, four, five. Not that secure, but anyway, we have the token and all of them have the same token. They know it. The Drupal server knows it, but the signaling server does not know it. And what Kevin has done now is basically that we can use his signaling server but the signaling server, server will never know our secret. So basically we can now, as soon as we are connected, exchange data via our secret token that we got from Drupal, and we can use any signaling server on the net. And this is very, very cool because it solves a very, very common problem. The problem of, yeah, setting up your own signaling server, your small website, small CMS, etc and not having to trust that server because because our encryption is end-to-end -end encrypted, that's what it's called. We are directly encrypting our messages via the secret key we know and trust. Um, we don't have to trust signaling servers so anyone can set up the signaling server for us. And I think that's a huge win in that. And this could allow um, YJS and um, others to be widely more used because you don't have to set up a node server. You don't have to set up a slow PHP with polling server, whatever for those initial connection to start. 
you just use any public signaling server and once you're connected, you're secure. Right. Uh, and again, you said something interesting here. This was a great explana explanation uh, of all the concepts here that you can use just by using a secret server, um, a secret key. You can make sure that only people who have real access to the document uh, can actually read it. And uh, you said something interesting here is um, to one of the signaling servers, because this is something I want to talk about. Um, uh, you, in, with YWebRTC, you can access many signaling servers at the same time and just find people on one of these servers. So um, if two people are connected to the same signaling server and they are sh um, accessing the same room, they can now, um, uh, they will find each other and create connection with each other. Um, so um, an advantage of this is you can use this to scale your server or your signaling information, uh, signaling servers by setting up many signaling servers. And um, if you want to connect to a specific room, you are going to use one of several specific signaling servers. Um, so these servers don't really need to communicate with each other more. This is um, set to the client side now. Um, the client decides which signaling server they are going to decide uh, to use. And um, yeah, this, this allows you to not set up some complex server environment where you need to have Redis or a PubSub node that, is, uh, that you need to scale to many instances if you have a large application. Now you can just connect to many signaling servers and hopefully uh, one of them is reachable by all the clients. And uh, yeah, this is how they are going to exchange their data. That's really wonderful. And, and you know, one of the things I did want to want to call out is that WebRTC is something that, you know, as you mentioned, Kevin, has been historically used primarily in conferencing solutions. Um, but it's also used in places like uh, WebTorrent, um, you know, DAT protocol, some of these really interesting peer-to-peer -peer technologies. Um, but I guess I'm really curious about one thing. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about how signaling and why WebRTC works. Um, is there any sort of maximum number of peers or what are some of the limitations of uh, why WebRTC and how many peers or, 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 or how much, uh, 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 you know, how, how, how many people can be connected at the same time? Yeah. Um, yeah, so what happens when you create a, a session between many peers, they all connect to each other. So um, naturally, this might be a huge network. So if you have 20 people that are working on the same document, you are going to connect to 20 people and there are being, uh, going to be a lot of connections. It is completely fine if one of the connections fails um, because the document updates are going to be forwarded through all the peers as long as this network is connected with each other. So something that you don't want is that this network uh, is going to be split into two networks, uh, but both networks are connected to the same room. Uh, so this is something that you want to avoid because then you are going to fragment your document. Uh, this is why by default, all the connections are just connected to each other. Uh, this is the simplest solution to that, and it usually scales well and uh, easily up until uh, 20 or 30 peers or so. Um, on a mobile device, it might be even less because um, 
doing that on a mobile connection uh, might impose some more restrictions. It might be slower, um, but all you need is one peer that is connected to all the other peers, and then you're going to receive all the data. Um, so I would say like, uh, don't have, don't plan to have more than 20 or 30 connections uh, for YWebRTC. This is basically the limitation. Maybe in the future we can optimize that, but I'm not sure. Um, because you need to make sure that all the peers are somehow connected with each other. Speaking of um, connected all to each other and partition, that's an interesting question. So let's say um, Michael is in America, we are here in Europe, and we are, and Michael is communicating with all his other, um, his whole marketing team, and um, we are also collaborating together. So we are collaborating together across the ocean. And now someone cuts that huge cable there for a moment, or a fish is having a bite, whatever. Um, so now we have like this partition um, where they are working on the document, we are working on the document, but we are not no longer connected. Even if we are all connected to each other, um, we are no longer connected. So um, how would YJS deal with that once the connection is established? Um. I'm sorry, can you repeat that question? Like the problem that occurs in this the scenario? The problem is basically the network partition. Mm -hmm. There's three people in America and two people in Europe that are working on things together. Mm -hmm. And um, so now um, you make updates, I make updates. We each see our updates, obviously. Mm -hmm. And they also make updates and they all see their updates. And now we get reconnected because the cable gets fixed. Um, how does YJS deal with that case? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so as soon as one client from one partition connects to the other client from the other connection uh, partition, they, they are going to sync their content with each other. This is what YJS is all about. It can sync everything. It can always sync. Um, if you have, if you partitioned uh, like a lot, if you, in America, you created like this huge document and in, in Germany, we created like a different document that looks very different and has stuff, different typos. Um, then you're going to sync and this sync might not make a lot of sense. So you wanna make sure that uh, the timeout between the, like when the fragmentation is solved is not too long. Uh, otherwise it might be really weird if at some point, oh wow, there's a lot of content apparently but uh, it will just sync as soon as the petition, uh, pet petitions are somehow connected to each other. Is there, is there like a problem when, for example, I mean, we, we both are here in Europe and, um, uh, and then um, I sync all of Michael's changes and you also sync all of Michael's changes, but I'm a little bit quicker with syncing my changes and then I'm sending my changes that I've synced already to, to you already with it give like a sync storm or something? Um, and how do you avoid that? Yeah, uh, that's, that's a good question. Like for YGS, it's actually not a big problem. So uh, obviously there's uh, a lot of da data that might be transmitted. So when you have two huge petitions, like 10 clients on the one side and 10 clients on the other side, and then you uh, just uh, receive 10 clients at the same time and you sync with 10 clients um, uh, like synchronously, um, 
well, you will receive the same data 10 times, but uh, YJS will recognize, okay, uh, this is a duplicate of the content that I already received, so I don't have to apply it to my document. And um, this is something that is very important because uh, you will receive duplicates all the time. Um, even with using the WebSocket connection, every time you make an update, the server will uh, send the update back to you or another client that is somehow differently connected will also send the client the update to you. Uh, but because each update or like each character, we talked about this before, is uniquely identified, we always know uh, that, okay, I received this character, but this ID is already defined, so I can just throw it away. I already applied the update, right? So that's no problem. Cool. Kevin, is, is this peer-to-peer -peer cap um, specific to collaborators? So for example, uh, let's say, you know, we're, we're editing a document together as a group and we have 40 people. Um, can it be 20 people that are editing and 20 people that are, that are just watching? Like, it's, is there a cap on the number of watchers? Um, no, it's, um, so they all should be connected to each other. So um, it's, it's, not, it's not like that. In Google Docs, I know it's exactly like that. You can have like 10 or 20 collaborators on the same document, but, um, if you have more than that, there's a fixed number. If you have more than that fixed number, they can only view the document until a certain degree and then even that breaks up. Then you can always see um, updates on the document like flashes of, of content. Um, so this is how it was like two years ago when I checked this. Um, so in, in uh, YWebRTC, this would be the same uh, until a certain degree and then you might get into trouble because um, you shouldn't have too many connections open. At some point, the browser will say, okay, I won't take any more connections. I think at 120 connection or so the, in Chrome, at least, it will just say, I can't accept any more. It will throw errors. Um, but if you are lucky, the connections are still somehow alive and there's uh, no fragmentation so um, this will still work. Although it is not rec recommended, um, if you really wanna have a huge number of collaborators, you should use a central server or some other approach for that. For example, why WebSocket really scales well with a lot of users. Um, you can also optimize this, just use YWebRTC until the cap of 30 users and then maybe connect to a, a WebSocket server. Um, but yeah, this problem hasn't been solved yet. So I would think for most use cases, 30 active collaborators is, is sufficient. And like you said, if you, if you do have a case where you need a large number, you can always fail back to a centralized server model for that specific instance. Yeah, also it, it of course would be possible to have a different algorithm for viewers. Um, it would be additional work and it's not implemented right now, but if someone really wants to do it, no one would stop him from just having a signaling server which allows to select any peer and just listen to the updates as peer peer is giving basically and because every update is sent to everyone um, you can just listen to any peer and then you have like 20 people actively collaborating and then every one of those has one additional connection to one viewer so that's definitely, and if connection gets lost, obviously you need to select some, some other collaborator. So it's technically possible, just not implemented. 
Right. So uh, just, just for clarification, this is on a single document. So let's say I'm a large media company, uh, like a newspaper, and I have lots of authors writing lots of documents. Each individual document can have 20, 30 collaborators. Um, so as an organization, we could have hundreds or thousands of people collaborating simultaneously on different documents. It's just a single document cap of that. Right, exactly. Like this is only limited to the same document. And usually this is enough. You don't want to collaborate with more than 30 people. This won't be productive. Also, if you are, if you are a really huge media company, I guess you might perhaps have some money for a few no-share service. <laughs> ah, that's true. I mean, uh, WebRTC is, uh, it's really cool, but if you really want to have um, secure connection, if you really want to make sure that the clients are able to reach and share their data, you want to use Y-Web sockets, right? But if you're interested in using serverless applications, uh, like don't have, you don't really need to set up anything for this collaborative approach. If you want to have collaboration as a drop-in feature for your product, use YWebRTC, because why not? Because before it was non-collaborative and now you have, y, uh, you have WebRTC support in all browsers, it will, like most of the time, it will just work. And if you run into troubles, you have too many features, it's still better than having no collaboration at all, right? Yeah. So the majority of Drupal users or WordPress users are the long tail, you know, millions of websites that are run by individuals. So the power of this is that, you know, if Drupal or WordPress were to support this um, as someone with, you know, a personal Drupal site, I could have collaboration with peers without having to add any software to my application. It would all be included in the distribution. So that's what this enables? Yeah. Yes, exactly. This is exactly what this enables. So basically it works like this. You download a Drupal module, you have the special editor that YJS enabled. As we've talked before, you need a special editor for it. For example, Prozmora, for example, others that are available right now. And um, then um, you basically just enable this module, use one of the public signaling server, which you would configure in the module. And uh, basically you would start your document. It would connect to the signaling server and someone else would also open the same document, connect to the signaling server and it's all working. Because after the signaling server has connected us to there's nothing more for it to do and we would be collaborating like if we had a central server. So yeah. That's pretty mind-blowing. I mean literally any CMS or any type of application out there could implement this very quickly um, with minimal overhead. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah I mean this uh, assumes that this public server is well like is always available. Um, uh, I would be interested in setting up a, or an organization to just scale these public instances so we can have more users uh, that support that. Another option that we might want to take is like if uh, we might be able to implement um, the server implementation in other languages like PHP, that would be really interesting to me, just support this signaling in the server directly um, because the signaling server at this time, it's 100 lines of code, right? That's, you can easily do that in, in any language. Just re-implement the approach 
and uh, voila, you can have it, the whole approach like the signaling, uh, collaboration, everything on your site and it will also work in intranets. Um, and if it doesn't work, it's still better than before. I think this is, I think this is a time where CGI BIM slash Perl will shine again. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, no, um, actually for, um, uh, for things like um, PHP, there's techniques available to uh, make a signaling server, for example, long polling, where you're basically using one connection very long and uh, as soon as data arrives, it gets written to, you can also use frequent polls um, which works amazingly well with things like um, Vanish, for example, or Akamai, or any CMS Fastly. Also, um, it's an amazingly efficient way to keep load of the server because as soon as your data expires, and there's, for example, a new client, uh, you just expire it and it gets fetched once by the server. And um, so polling is actually way more feasible than it was 10 years ago. As soon as you use something like Varnish, Fastly, even Cloudflare on its more advanced tails, etc., because you can really know even Cloudflare Normal would work because you just need cache tags or cache invalidation. And you basically can have the clients poll every 10 seconds, every one second. It's no big deal for all of that. Um, and uh, the server will just get one request once the data um, expires. And that's a very, very cool way to implement polling today in 2020. That is actually um, not as well um, used um, because many people kind of like said, oh, polling is bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. Um, but it works amazingly well as soon as you put a CDN on it. Uh, so that's another alternative. Just have a very simple PHP client, push some CM, uh, CDN before it, and um, expire the cache as soon as the data updates and you will have almost real-time signaling without any overhead on the server. Right. We should I... write a blog post about that. This is cool. Yeah, that would be interesting. I mean, there are so many ways to scale that. I would be interested in exploring this whole field. Um, I mean, I just want to say WebSockets are also su supported in uh, PHP, I hear it here. Um, but uh, long polling is also a very viable option. I know that a lot of applications, uh, a lot of uh, software prefers uh, long polling instead of WebSockets. Um, another thing that you could do is, um, somebody brought that up in, in the WordPress um, GitHub organization, I think. Uh, you could use um, the pings that you always send to the server to, um, like when you open a, Word, a Gutenberg site, for example, you send pings in intervals to the server. Something that you could do is you could make sure that um, if a client wants to connect to you, you just append some information like the session description information to this ping, right? Just leverage the ping and uh, add some information to it because that's something that you do anyways. So why not combine that? Yeah, definitely. But as said, short polling is also very viable yeah. um, in that. And um, always it depends also on, on your mileage. Like because this polling approach is only used for the active documents where you are, you are actually on. Um, basically, even if you ping every second, but you have a largely scaled server somewhere, 
um, it, it, it might not even matter in, in the um, whole wheel of things because uh, really um, um, you only, only if you're really editing a document will this polling happen and who cares if there's a ping every five seconds <laughs> for two users or three users or even 30 users, that's not a big problem. The big problem is polling and all those things and where then the web sockets really shine is when you have thousands, of same thousands, hundreds, thousands of users where polling and wrong polling really does not scale anymore. <laughs> right, that's true. I mean, and if that doesn't work anymore, if you really have a huge application, if you really need it, you can always switch to any other uh, protocol. So this should be um, uh, supported, like use uh, the WebSocket server if you really need it. Um, and it should be easily scalable, right? Uh, so yeah, many opportunities, everything is exchangeable and it's a perfect drop-in replacement, uh, drop-in feature uh, if you want to enable collaboration in your uh, application. It's always better than before, like in my opinion, uh, without, like it's better than without collaboration. Another thing that I want to bring up is here the mesh support. I, I, I think we talked about this sometime. Um, uh, so um, YGS collaborates, um, like exchanges document updates using um, a broadcast channel, which is a browser API to communicate to other tabs. Uh, something that why WebRTC does it, it manages these connections to the other tabs. And if you're, um, if you have this in an, another tab, you won't create another uh, WebRTC connection to the other tab. Um, so this is one of the cool features. You can also combine this by using other YGS providers. For example, if you want to have WebRTC, and then at some point in the middle or at the beginning of the session, you decide, I also want to use another protocol, for example, uh, YDAT, which is support for the DAT um, communication layer, or if you want to use uh, WebSockets, you can also support WebSockets and share your data over peer-to-peer -peer WebRTC and WebSockets and the DAT protocol and just hope that anything of that works. So uh, this is another new feature that I implemented that all of this is mashable. I would be interested in, uh, in supporting Bluetooth connections too, uh, just for the heck of it. If you find, uh, if you open your phone and um, you want to collaborate, the first thing that you could do is query if there's another device that supports YJS and uh, exchange the data using Bluetooth because why not, it's mashable. And it will also work while uh, you are not connected to the internet anymore because it's Bluetooth, it works locally, right? Uh, this might be awesome on conferences where um, I had this one conference where I wanted to show YJS and uh, of course it failed because there was no connection or it didn't work because we didn't have the bandwidth to support all these devices like 150 people accessing the same server through the university network so I thought, man, it would be awesome if there was some physical way to transmit the data. And uh, well, uh, looking forward to why Bluetooth, peer-to-peer uh, -peer connection through, through uh, Bluetooth uh, coming in 2021, but uh, lots of opportunities here. Yeah. Wonderful. 
Uh, well, we are just about out of time here. And um, I want to say, uh, first and foremost, thank you so much to Kevin and Fabian and Michael for joining us today. Uh, one quick last thing, uh, Kevin, where should people go if they want to learn about YWebRTC? Um, is there a demo available of this as well that uh, we can try out and play around with? Yeah, go to yjs.dev. There's several demos. Um, the website uses WebSockets and WebRTC now. I just do that to uh, find out how, how many peers I can support with uh, WebRTC. So, so uh, just open it on a lot of devices and uh, let's see what happens. Um, um, so um, another thing, go to the GitHub repo, um, GitHub. Uh, com slash ygs uh, it's the ygs organization find out about all the connectors that we support all the um, editors that we support and uh, yeah i'm looking forward to more tech one talks uh, especially look at the first two three uh, tech one talks about collaboration uh, using ygs uh, to find out more and uh, please ask any questions in the git in the discussion board discuss.yjs.dev. Uh, there are there some people and helping you out if you have any questions, um, any suggestions on the website. If you want to see a specific application, uh, you have an application developed and you want to show it off, please post it there. Wonderful. Well, uh, thank you so much. And just as a reminder to our audience, um, thank you once again for joining us for this Tag One Team Talk. Tag One Team Talks is the series about emerging web technologies consisting of webinars and podcasts about some of the most fascinating technologies on the bleeding edge of the web. By the way, we post all of these talks at tagone.com slash tag team talks. And all the links we mentioned today will be included and posted online with the talk wherever you're looking. And if you like this talk, as with every single Tag One Team Talk, please uh, remember to upvote, subscribe, and then share it with all your friends and family. As always, we'd love your feedback and any suggestions if you want to hear about a particular topic, if you want to bring Kevin back, if you want to bring Fabian back more often, we'd love your topic suggestions. Please write to us at tagteamtalks at tagoneconsulting.com. Once again, a real fond thank you to Michael, Kevin, and to Fabian. Always a great time to see you, know, to see you and to hang out. And um, I'm looking forward to the next one of these as well. Take care. Thank you.